Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. I'm pleased to share a panel discussion from the 2022 Chief Medical Officer Summit 360 on the topic of managing the partnership between big and small pharma. For more information about the CMO Summit, our editorials, podcasts, and webinars, please visit cmosummit360.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Thank you. All right, and I'm joined today by Eric and Milan and Tom. So maybe we can start with uh, just doing a brief introduction of ourselves and our experiences with uh, uh, partnerships between big and small pharma. So I am CMO at ITO Therapeutics. We're currently working, uh, made a co-commercialization, co-development deal with GSK last summer, and so are working on our, our lead antibody in, in that collaboration. I also have prior experience as head of clinical development for oncology at uh, Sanofi, where we had multiple partnerships with uh, smaller companies uh, and other big companies, sometimes peer-to-peer uh, -peer relationships. So I'll hand over to Eric. Hi, I'm Eric Crambez. I'm currently at Ultragenics Pharmaceutical. Um, we work primarily in rare disease, and we do that across multiple platforms from enzyme replacement therapies, small molecule gene therapy, and messenger RNA. Um, I've had experience with partnerships, um, both on the big side during my previous exper experience at Shire, um, and that was a partnership with Amicus Therapeutics on their chaperone programs, and then more recently at Ultragenics, and before that, Dimension Therapeutics with a relationship with Bayer for a hemophilia A gene therapy program, which was very foundational to us farming as a company. My name is Milan Stankovic. I'm Chief Medical Officer at Snipper Biome, a Danish-based biotech company. I have around uh, 25 years of experience within R&D, 18 years from a large company, Novo Nordisk, with partnerships in that uh, area. Four years as Chief Medical Officer at a company called Swedish Orphan Biovitrum, which was a rare disease company that went through a number of acquisitions, and then finally 18 months as head of R&D with uh, Snipper Biome. At uh, Snipper Biome, we use uh, CRISPR systems and also gene therapy to modulate the microbiome, uh, and we target uh, various diseases with uh, a large unmet medical need, in particular within immunology, oncology, cardiometabolism, and we also have an AMR angle. From this particular uh, workshop, we have partnerships with the soft funding, uh, combating antimicrobial resistance. We have a partnership with MD Anderson Cancer Center, and then we also have a research collaboration agreement with a large company being Novo Nordisk, and I'll try to answer based on those experiences, and then up to you. I think we have enough partnerships right there. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Davis, I'm the Chief Medical Officer at Genosha. I uh, have been doing immune therapy for oncology for a long time and started out at the biggest partner of them all, the National Cancer Institute, where we effectively partnered with everybody. But subsequent to that, I joined Medirex, which was infamous for their 50-50 partnerships, uh, which ended up not being a good idea. We can talk about that in a little more detail. But subsequently joined a spin-out Celdex, where we had partnerships with several large companies in order to try and drive our programs forward. And now Genosha, in a similar situation, is a, a very small partner at this point, figuring out how we can influence what happens. So in our pre-discussion, one of the things we talked about was uh, that it's really important for people on both sides to understand what's driving the, the partners uh, in their motivation for the partnership, as well as in what they're trying to achieve from the partnership. So we thought we'd start out by talking a bit about kind of what 
the drivers on the big side uh, and what are the drivers on the small side. So why don't we start with the small side if you wanted to start, Tom? Sure. Of course, there can be many benefits to a small company. Uh, resources are always sort of the highest priority for smaller companies. But resources to uh, technologies and potential long-term buyouts can all be things that are key on, on mind for small companies. Uh, but you know, the most challenging issue is always control and influence in a partnership like that. And I think for small companies, having influence, being able to create a partnership where they have a, an important role is the biggest challenge. Milan? Yeah, so I think, you know, sort of returning back to why do we do partnerships, I think when you look at the metrics, a partner program has a, has a higher probability of success than an unpartnered program. Now, we all know that could be a number of reasons. It's the best programs that get partnered, potentially, et cetera, et cetera. But nevertheless, it sends a very good signal to the entire market, uh, the, 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 the people that you want to recruit, the investors that you want to work with, that you have a partner program, and, and as I said, it increases the likelihood of success. I, I think to a certain extent, it de-risks what you're doing uh, with the resources that you mentioned, uh, the, the capacity, the therapeutic area knowledge, et cetera, et cetera, that is being thrown against it. Um, and then finally, as I said, I think it's a validation point. So I think for a small company, I, I think it's, it's tremendously important, but I, there are also some pitfalls, and we can discuss that later maybe. On the, on the big side, if you want to talk about? Yes, and I, I think just thinking about coming into this, I've now had experience on the big side, the small side, and the medium side, so I think I've seen all, all, all parts of that. From the big side, that really does, for me, go back to my experience at Shire and that partnership with Amicus. At that point, they really were a platform organization looking at chaperone therapy. And at that time, in, in you know, looking at rare diseases and, and new ways to tackle diseases with such high-end med medical need, chaperones did show a lot of promise. So it was a way for us to really look at that technology, partner with them, and understand everything they've done um, with, at that time, you, know, you could argue a relatively modest investment that could certainly have grown in, into something much bigger. Yeah, and from my experience on the big side, I think um, often companies are looking to fill a gap, uh, either a gap in uh, one of their franchises, so they have a drug that's coming off uh, patent and they want to have something for that sales team to do, or they have a gap in their pipeline, um, or they need a combination partner for a key asset in their pipeline. I think another thing that I find helpful to understand is that uh, Rarely are big companies of one mind, you know. There are often advocates for making the partnership and people who are against making the partnership because, you know, they'd rather have that resource for a different therapeutic area. And so I think one thing that's helpful to realize is at a big company, as you enter into the agreement, often the people that advocated for the deal have a lot to prove. Uh, and so keeping that in mind, I think, can be really helpful. All right, so I, we're going to have a bit more discussion about making a collaboration work kind of through the ups and downs, but we're also going to take questions. So if people want to start thinking about questions after we finish this segment, we can take some questions and try to keep the, the meeting on track. Um, so I was going to start on making a collaboration work. I, one of the key things that we talked about was uh, relationship building. Uh, and you know, often you might have a pretty narrow interface uh, between the two companies uh, where you're, you're going through a governance committee uh, to 
make things happen. And one of the things I've found really useful going both ways from big to small and small to big is really getting to know the people. Uh, you know, I think even in the times of COVID, it's extremely helpful to be able to meet face to face and have those side discussions where you find you have other connections beyond just the collaboration. I think getting to know who are the key stakeholders in the other organization is really helpful. And I have experience being in collaborations where we didn't have decision-making rights, but my organization really wanted me to have influence into those decisions. And I think having those relationships where you show that you can help, where you add value, where you, know, you support your partner, uh, you know, the individual that's you know, trying to prove to their company that this was a good deal, uh, gives you more access to try to accomplish your organization's goal than if you don't have those relationships or if you just try to kind of push things through without developing those relationships. All right, so uh, I think Eric, you had some thoughts about uh, understanding the decision-making process at your partner, which I think follows on from that. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I, I do want to bridge off the relationship building piece of it because I think it, it comes back around to that probably at a lot of levels and, and for me, identifying who your partner is on the other side, whether you're the big side or the small side, to me, it's always important. It's great when that happens easy and it's organic. Oftentimes it's not, and I've, I've worked very, very hard at, at forming relationships with my key partners on the other side. And I think you know having the ability to have that trust, um, being able to have side conversations, because we've talked about different motivations on depending on what side you are at. And, that can very, be very hard to see, and certainly there's always a lot of conversations going on in the one side of the partnership. So if you have that open communication, that trust, and you can gain insight into what's motivating decision-making or behaviors on the other side, that, that, to me, that to me is always very important. And then when it comes down to decision-making, I think you know, it, was, it was interesting and, again, great when you can come to consensus on important decisions, but you can't. And some all the time, and sometimes you have to make tough decisions that people often aren't comfortable making. So, I think for me, really understanding up front and having it, you know, very well documented in your contract about who is the ultimate decision maker, how that is escalated, is important. And I'm in a situation now um, with one partnership where both sides are reading that language that we spent a lot of time on very differently <laughs> when it comes down to decision making. So. It, it is, it is interesting when, when hard decisions are necessary. All right, and then uh, I, I think that gets to the point that uh, Milan was going to get to, which is recognizing when there's not a consensus so that things don't get dragged out. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think I very much agree with, uh, with what has been said in particular around building a room of trust and, and creating a relationship with, if not a decision maker within the large company, then somebody that clearly can influence a decision maker. Because I think what we also discussed, I think during some of our calls was, um, we see ourselves as decision makers within the companies that we represent, but, but we may sometimes be talking to transporters and not necessarily decision makers. And, and I think creating or you know, solving for that heterogeneity is important to appreciate. But I think having a closed room where you can talk uh, frankly around what are the needs of those specific organizations and you can iron out some contours of a corridor of a deal space. 
I, I think that's critically important. I think where it's, it's where it starts, and I think it's where it ends. Um, the importance of a deal for a small company, we've already talked about the benefits, but it also means that it means much more to a small company than it would mean to a large company, all other things being equal. So as a small company, you'll need to live with that deal for a long time. So, so it really, really does have to make sense also on the long run strategically for you, and it cannot just be a stepping stone to something else, I think. Um, I think what, what, what I have good experience with is uh, it's, it's, it can be difficult to be both a deal champion and the one that brings the sobering view. So if you're a deal champion, you really want to make the deal work and you somehow see the benefits of all of it and yes, this was just a misunderstanding and we move on and all of these things. But I think it's good to bring the conversations back into a room within the company somehow and say, okay, I, I mean, is the strategic imperative that we set out to do, are they, those still valid within the corridor of the conversation that we're currently having? And, and I think having that dialogue within the company is important. Um, as I said, uh, fundamentally, I think creativity in deal-making uh, is important. It is about trying to understand what risks is it that the other partner sees and seeing if that can be incorporated in a deal language somehow. Typically, it can, actually. Uh, so you can, you, can, you can create milestones, you can create different structures, so you can actually say, okay, we recognize that you see this as a risk, and this is how we can incorporate it into the deal language, and we could still make it work. But I think ultimately, you know, if, it's, if, if, you, if you don't feel there's sufficient progress and maybe your sobering team is telling you, I mean, you're not really making progress, then sooner or later you'll have to listen to that as a deal champion and, and say, okay, because there's also an opportunity cost, I think, for a CMO or CEO or CFO or a senior person in a small company on how much bandwidth do we need to spend on something where, there may be not, where the soil is maybe not as, as fertile as you would have hoped to. And, um, and, and you need to call that and say, you know, when is it that we have tried and tried and tried, but that, that, that is just not common ground for a strategic partnership. And I think that's where you then, you know, again, having created this trustful relationship, at least can communicate that. And then maybe you can return to it. But, but I think if you can articulate it, I, I think people tend to understand why you do things, but also why you just, just decide to not do things, at least in my view. Yeah. And then we were going to get to Tom to talk about what happens when your partner loses interest in the collaboration. Well, the first step is making sure you know ahead of time what that relationship is, because very often you're dealing with business development people who want to do a deal and may not be that careful about what they're picking, or at least not like what they're picking. And then it gets handed off to the actual operational team who may have a very different perspective. So again, Establishing a relationship and finding out ahead of time what really is going to happen is critically important for a small company. Uh, very often when you're negotiating such a deal, a small company will want to have significance in the deal, obviously. But sometimes the best thing you can get is a 50-50 type of relationship where you have shared decision-making. It's very hard to really hold your stand in that setting, particularly if you have a particularly opinionated person on the other side, someone who already has decided that the program isn't going to work out. So really that, that work ahead of time to understand what you're dealing with is critically important. Uh, I had alluded to Medirex and their 50-50 partnerships where in order to try to have control with the big farmer, they were partnering with all the big farmers at the time, they, they decided that they would put up half the money 
but it didn't take very long before Big Pharma was happily spending more money than Medirex had, and it ultimately brought down the company in many ways. They just couldn't keep up those partnerships. I don't think, well, obviously no one does those anymore. Uh, but trying to really understand their intent with the program is key. But the other side of it is uh, really being a champion for your program as you're going into that deal making. So it's very important for CMOs, I think, particularly to dive into those programs and try to, every step of the deal, if the business development people will let you get involved, to make sure that it's going to benefit the company. The other anecdote I'd, I'd like to point out was a relationship we had with one of the bigger companies. And uh, it was one of those scenarios where the, the deal makers wanted to bring in the program, but ultimately the team wasn't that interested. But the deal was such that we would run a clinical trial and they would provide the money and they would do development in the background, which seemed like a pretty good deal. And at the end, it did work out very well because they actually decided they were no longer interested before we even generated data from that clinical trial. And in the process, they handed over several kilograms of product that they had manufactured for us, all the IP around what they had developed. And we walked away being able to tell our investors that we were glad that the deal fell apart because we came away richer. Now that's unique and you can't plan it ahead of time, but just all of that uh, really understanding what the other side is thinking, again, I think is, is the common theme here. It's critically important to know what you're dealing with. Yeah, and I, I think to build on that, I think to um, have the discussions with your other team members, with business development, uh, and other people involved in making the deal, and thinking through when you're making the deal, what the potential outcomes are, not just the sunny outcome where everything succeeds and everybody's aligned the whole time, but you know, what's the outcome if, uh, as you said, the smaller partner can't keep up with funding? Do you lose everything you've invested in if you can't keep up with funding? Uh, or you know, what happens if one or the other partner loses interest and the other partner still wants to proceed? How does that work? So I do think it's worth having the time at least to have those discussions even if you're not in the negotiation for the deal. So we'll open it up for questions, if there are any. Hi. Oh, go ahead. Good. All right. Who was fastest? I don't know. You, you got there first. <laughs> Just introduce yourself. All right. My name is Leah Damasek. I'm with SSI Strategy. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the push and pull between, especially for platform companies, having a number of assets coming into the clinic. How can you make sure to put those assets in a position with your clinical development plans and surrounding program plans to give them enough to get through proof of concept, but also make it attractive to a potential partner. Definitely worked with clients in situations where they, they want to get it just to that point, and partners are saying that that's not enough. We want to see the full plans in order to bring it all the way through to commercialization, but there's not the resourcing on the client side or sponsor side to do that. So. I'm really curious if you could speak to that balance and how CMOs should be approaching that with their programs. Yeah, I think certainly for me, and I started at a platform-based company, Dimension Therapeutic, is Dimension Therapeutics, which brought the gene therapy programs into Ultragenics. And I think, you know, it was challenging. And I think, you know, looking at the gene therapy companies that are out there now as a pure platform player really struggling. It's just we're at that point of the cycle, and I think gene therapy companies, you know, particularly in, in this environment, are getting hit a little hard. So 
I think that is the time when you can depend on partnerships to bring in resources. And I think, you know, that's resources not just financially, but also on, on the, the level of expertise you need and really leaning into, you know, the, the expertise they have on the clinical operations front and really thinking about how you do drug development on a global scale, if that's, if that's appropriate. Um, you know, the clinical regulatory strategy and just really putting your arms around all of those pieces that your partner can bring to the table to enable you as a platform organization to, to get to that next step. And I think, you know, clearly there's been a lot of success there. Yeah, maybe, maybe I can add. So I, I think one of the beauties of being in a small company is also you can pivot more easily. And, 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 and the way, you know, at least it's worth entertaining at least an internal dialogue within the company is if there is a, a large potential partner that, that, that has a certain interest in a certain trajectory, uh, and if it still ends up supporting, say, the strategics of the company and the value generation, wouldn't potentially the platform also be able to be validated going in the direction that this company is interested in, rather than potentially more saying, okay, well, we have decided that this is the direction you want to take, and, and sticking to that. So, so, so I think there's also the opportunity to be flexible and, and, and generate some data in a partnership that was maybe not exactly what was thought about originally, but could actually, you know, help validate the platform more than what you could do on your own. Uh, so, so I think it's, I think it's worth taking a step back when you when you face these conversations. Great, and I think we have time for one more question. Thanks, uh, Roger Waltzman, Molecular Templates. The the press around a, a partnership forming is usually quite positive. What are your thoughts about how to frame? Um, the dissolution of such a partnership, which is typically viewed unfavorably for the smaller company. I think, Tom, you have some experience with that? You know, obviously, you need to think about that well ahead of time to, to really, along the way, build up as many positives about your program as you can. This concept that, you know, a big pharma partnership validates your program is true, but not necessarily so, and, and they can sort of unvalidate your program if you let them. So it's, again, that proactive interactions along the way to make sure that you're not giving away too much and compromising yourself. But, but a lot of that is defined at the time the deal is made, so you have to struggle with it. But you also get to talk about the partnership during that whole time. So when you're talking to your investors, building up that whole relationship can certainly make the, the divorce a little less painful, perhaps. Yeah. And I think making sure you have what you need when you dissolve that <laughs> agreement, right? Uh, as much as you can. Go ahead, Milan, do you have a? Yeah, so so I, think it is, I think it's much more damaging if it is, you can say, an invalidation of a data point within the platform. And, and I think that needs to be managed, but one, on one hand, side or the other, you decided to go down that route because it was strategically value generation for the company. So. One way or the other, that, that needs to be dealt with. I, I think it's probably say, maybe easier to deal with if it's more tangential, you know, uh, a company can change uh, trajectory and say, well, we're not interested in oncology anymore, and, and then you deal with that. But, but I, I think that is why it is important that before you enter into it, you sort of have thought it all the way through, and is it really a validation, or is it more a tangential step that you're just doing to create, you know, some monetary value for yourself? 
Um, so, so I, I think if it was the right thing from the beginning, then I think it is what it is then. Yeah. All right. Well, we won't stand before you and lunch. So thanks to the panel and to the audience. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Chief Medical Officer 360 Summit, our editorial podcasts and webinars, please visit cmosummit360.com. Thank you.